Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. This is the Holy Hour of Power. We, we, we promise you this is not low-energy Catholic radio. No, you're not going to see Jeb Bush here and others. This is high-energy Catholicism. We have a PhD in Common Sense. This is where we engage the culture of death with prayer, fasting, and full-contact Catholicism. Our program is not right versus left. It's right versus wrong. I am... The Latin lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady. Terry. Well said, Jesse. I'm Terry Barber, the Lebanese lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Lebanese lover of Our Lady. And I, this is going to be a great show because we've got some good to know file information, but we got just amazing stuff to expose error with truth, okay? Number one, university. this university is putting a trigger warning on Orwell's 1994, uh, 1984 book and this is interesting what they're doing there also this whole week jesse's going to be a busy man because the temple of satan is coming into his backyard literally in in arizona and he's calling all catholics to a peaceful prayerful three-day of reparation for the conversion Amen. of these satanists just this is just what we're are you're implementing our lady of fatima their message you keep it up also are meatless friday still a thing for catholics well Man, that's so amazing when we have this article on that. But I also want to just give kudos. Good to know file. One bishop came out, Jesse, for the Canadian truckers for free, their freedom convoy. Guess who it was who approved what they're doing and gave them a right on? Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> Jesse, last week I've been telling you a few things about good to know file about Arizona, about the pro-life and all this. Well, now they just came out. They're, they're on a roll, brother. Arizona's looking better and better to live in that state. The Arizona state passed a bill that bans males from competing in women's sports. You know, common sense ain't that common, Jess. And so when that happened, I mean, could you imagine 30 years ago making a comment like that? No. You'd, have been, you'd have been laughed out of uh, the public square. And one more good-to-know file, Jesse. You know, you know Kevin James quite well. He's in the news. What did he do? He could have been quiet. He's a... Famous movie star guy, former star of the Kings of Queens. He expressed his support for Joe Rogan, who was facing censorship attempts for having COVID. Uh, people like, are you ready? Wow. He had the audacity to have Father Dr. Peter McCulloch on his show, and now he's, they're, they're coming after him. Here's my point. It's time when we stand up, whether it affects our career as a politician, movie star, whatever, because this is not the time to be quiet. But before we get to all of these topics, I just always say, let's get some soul food in us, which is the gospel of today's Mass. Amen. And uh, Mark wow. chapter mm -hmm. 6, verses 53 to 56. <clears throat> Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. <clears throat> after making the cross, after making the crossing to the other side of the sea, Jesus and his disciples came to, the, to land at Gennesaret and tied up there. As they were leaving the boat, people immediately recognized him. They scurried about the surrounding country and began to bring in the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Whatever villages or towns or countryside he entered, they, lacked, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him mm -hmm. that they may touch only the tassel on his cloak, and as many as touched it were healed. Awesome. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Two points that jump out at me doing some spiritual exegesis. Mm -hmm. 
number one, uh, all the healings that we see our Lord Jesus Christ perform in the New Testament on his earthly life, that's all a preparation for the glorified body. The glorified body in the next life, united with our soul, will be perfectly healed. It will, it will have what's known as the gift of impassibility, which means the human body will no longer age or suffer. Also, every time you see these healing miracles of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, don't just stop there like, go like, wow, he just healed a person's body. This is, to, this is speaking about something different because all our bodies are eventually going to break down and die. That's called the second law of thermodynamics. That's just the way, that's what's going to happen. But more than this, these miracle accounts are talking to us about the healing of our soul, which is more important. I forget what saint it was. One of the saints said, what's more powerful than raising a dead body from the grave is raising a dead soul from mortal sin. Yeah. And so the, all the healing stories, as phenomenal and powerful as they are, don't, don't miss the spiritual significance that, yes, Jesus will heal the body eventually. That's why he died for the body and soul. At the general judgment, the body will be perfectly healed, those that are in a state of grace. But what's most important, Terry, is that we seek Jesus to heal our soul, which takes me to where they says, and they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he might touch uh, only the tassel on his cloak. And as many as, and, uh, and as many as touched it were healed. Guess what? If you went to Holy Mass today and you opened up your mouth and stuck out your tongue and received the Holy Eucharist, guess what happened? You touched the tassel of Jesus's, of, of Jesus's hymn. Amen. And guess what happens when you touch this tassel of his cloak? He heals you. That's why we say right before Holy Communion in the Novus Ordo Mass, it says, we say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Terry? Well said, Jesse. And I, I just want to say that um, this kind of ties into what Bishop Strickland told me the other day when he said, let us seek this all reverence for our Lord in the Eucharist for priests he uses at the altar. And he said this, Jess, the priesthood is bruised, battered as Jesus was. Pray for priests to turn from sin and seek sanctity. Thus, they will be fittingly standing at Jesus' altar and offer to him, offer him to us. Well said, Bishop Strickland. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room. Oh, Sheena had. And this fits right into what the gospel is, Jess, about the reverence for the Holy Eucharist. Bishop Sheen has a guest on his train. His name is St. Francis of Assisi. When I give you the quote, you'll say, I didn't think Bishop, I mean, St. Francis would say something like this. Well, remember, he was the one who started the manger, right? For the Christmas manger. He said this, let the whole world of mankind tremble. The whole world shake and the heavens exult when Christ, the son of the living God, is on the altar in the hands of the priest. It ties right in what you just said, Jess, about Holy mm. Communion. Mm. We have to have reverence. And then Strickland is talking about bringing back that reverence. I believe the spirituality of the priesthood affects the spirituality of the lay people. In other words, where, the leaders, where is the church going where its leaders take them? So Fulton Sheen and St. Francis of Assisi, please pray that we have a 
a, a, a renewal of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist and that we as a church share that. And Jess, I just want to add one more note. I, you know, you know, I always invite people back to church. Well, just an hour ago, I got this fax, a, a text from a guy. I met him because his wife died of brain cancer, right? Mm. Now, he comes to the chapel. They were married at the chapel 39 years ago, that woman that died. And he wants to have the funeral at the chapel. So I started talking to him and spent about 40 minutes with him before a radio show. I barely made it back to the show that day. Mm. But I invited him back to church, get to confession, uh, come back here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. We have mass, very reverent mass. Well, he just texted me an hour ago saying, Terry, thank you for inviting me back. I feel like I'm back home now. But Jess, wow. this is how simple it is. Sun Saturday, I had another situation with my grandson. We're watching the airplanes at the airport, a little private airport. Ran into a fallen away Catholic. She had 12 years of Catholic education. Jesse, is this a broken record? He didn't know the Ten Commandments. He didn't know the seven sacraments. And of course, I invited him. I got his card to come back to church because he stopped going right at the, at the, uh, when the um, pandemic, so-called pandemic hit. But we all have to just invite people back, even in spite of the scandal of the church. Show them your love for Jesus Christ. Show them what peace you have when you follow Jesus Christ. That's all I wanted to say, Jess. It's just, it's not hard to invite people back home. Yeah, I did the same thing. There's a, I went to a Catholic gathering, and there was a, a yeah. Mormon couple there. Yeah. And uh, somebody said, you got to meet this guy, Jesse Romero. He's, uh... <laughs> and so I went and I sat down it. with this Mormon couple. Yeah. The, 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 the man was already go, coming into the church, but the wife is very resistant. Uh -huh. She was there. She was at the Catholic gathering. Yeah. And he goes, Jesse, please, my wife has a thousand questions and stuff. And <laughs> I, I, I'm already journeying into the church. I and it goes, it. I was hoping you'd show up to this get together. So I sat down there for about an hour and a half and just very casually just sure. yeah, just answering a lot of the questions that she had. And then at the end, I said, you're a very smart woman. I said, you know, you know a lot and you know that Jesus is calling you to, into the Roman Catholic Christian Church. And then she put her head down. Hmm. I said, I said. You're fighting it from your heart. Intellectually, you're there. And then I said, has any Catholic ever prayed for you to come into the church? She goes, no, I'm around Catholics all the time. Nobody prays for me. I said, can I pray for you right now? Awesome. She goes, what? She goes, there's a lot of people here. I said, I don't care. Can I pray for you right now? <laughs> I'm going to pray that Jesus gives you the grace to come in right now. She goes, oh, okay, okay, I suppose. She closed her eyes. I closed my eyes. And I just did a heartfelt prayer. I said, Jesus, this woman loves you and she's searching for you and she knows you're found in the fullness in the Catholic Church. Lord, I beg you to bring her home. She needs the fullness of grace. Terry, as I'm praying, <laughs> I love it. tears are rolling down her eyes. There's a hundred Catholics all around, you know, barbecuing, doing this, that, and the other. And I'm in the corner praying for a Mormon woman to come into the church. She said, Thank you so much. No Catholic's ever done that for me before. Awesome. And you wonder why we're too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed, because we have Jesus in our heart. And we want to share it with everyone. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, Here's Terry and Jesse. <laughs> There's a book called 1984. Oh, yeah. It was written by George Orwell. Let me give you just a little, a little bit of synopsis of the book, okay? Yeah. Uh, 
it's a book that t- it really talks about a future world where there's going to be dehumanization. What do I mean? The book 1984, it describes a world without mothers and fathers. It describes a world, it's a place full of faceless human clones, because cloning is now the standard. Uh, This is the world that's portrayed in the the book 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, And uh, it's a future, Terry, it's it's a future that uh, of dehumanized people that have an obsession with physical pleasure. Does it sound? <laughs> yeah, and Jesse, it was written in 1949. That's an important point. Right after World War II, basically. I mean, can you imagine him writing that in 1949? What did you think most people thought? Oh. They, they thought he was crazy. Exactly. Uh, also, the book 1984, this novel, what he what he also writes there, uh, George Orwell. Yeah. Is is he also writes about this? Uh, it's the misuse of technology. Yes, and so th- it's an iconic novel. It talks about the horrors also of censorship. Woo-hoo. It talks th- about the horrors of authoritarianism, and and it's not being censored. This book is being censored right now by universities. Yep. Why? Because it describes the present. United States of America under Joe Biden. Yep. The University of Northampton in, in Orwell's own England has has issued a trigger warning on the book with staff claiming that the book contains explicit material uh, that, some, that, that some students may find the work to be offensive and unsettling. Yeah, the, the people that will find it offensive are, are what they call snowflakes. And so the Daily Mail, they uncovered this uh, via a Freedom of Information request. And 1984 is one of the several books that have been slapped with a trigger warning, a trigger warning for students at the university who are studying what's called identity under construction. Again, another another Marxist uh, discipline that they've introduced into our universities. This course, Identity Under Construction, it's a study which comes with a warning to students that it addresses challenging issues related to violence, gender, sexuality, class, race, abuses, sexual abuse, political ideas, and offensive language. In other words, Terry, straight censorship. Well, of course, Jesse. I'll give you an example. We have experienced it here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio with Bishop Strickland Hour. He was condemning, uh, uh, you know, one of the commandments in the Catholic Church's Ten Commandments, and they said that's a strike against you. You do that again, you're off YouTube. They already kicked us off last year. But the point of it was it's because we were teaching traditional Catholicism. Here's one that just happened today. GoFundMe cancels donations to the Canadian truck drivers that Bishop Strickland is supporting, and all of us, we are. Uh, the money was pouring in really fast, and so they said, hey, uh, we don't support that narrative. So what happened, Jesse, and I'm going to encourage people to use alternatives. It's Give, Send, Go. That's a new alternative Christian organization. This is what I love, Jesse. All these things we need to, like whether it's Facebook, have our own Christian organizations that run these businesses. So basically, don't give anything to GoFundMe anymore, folks. Go to Give, Send, Go. And also, another one like that, Facebook took down uh, any ministry pages that help struggling people with LGBT lifestyle. 
They won't let that. They will not. In California, same thing. If you're not politically correct, the big media people will take you down. Yeah, we have to find, as uh, Andrew Torba from Gab says, we have to yep. find our own alternative right. networks. Yep. We have to start building them for the ground up, Terry, yep. because the secular humanists, Marxist, progressive liberals, communists, mm-hmm. uh, they they own the marbles right now, yep. and they're not letting us play with their marbles, and that's called censorship. They, they don't want us to get our message out there. Our yep. message, ours, the VMPR, that's right. it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, these guys are like the Sadducees and Pharisees throwing, you know, Peter and Paul and Silas and Timothy and Barnabas in jail saying, you guys can't talk about the risen Christ. And you know what? Even though Terry and me, if we end up landing one day in a FEMA camp, we will be talking about Jesus Christ until we drop dead. That's right. You can count on that, Jess. Hey, Jesse, another thing that uh, concerns me, these things are in big media. Here's the problem, too. And I'm, I'm just saying it, be honest with you. I think of what the Catholic Church's institutional institutions are doing to encourage this. They're supporting this kind of yes, censorship. Yes, I mean, I'm being honest. I would, it's hard for me to have to say that, but I'll give you an example. You, cheat, you watch the news of Church Militant, right? Yes. You see the immigration people coming over and illegally coming in, and our government, through Catholic Charities, is funding all this. Okay, It's illegal. And all these kids are being, many of them, about one-third of the women have been uh, are raped, Oh, yeah. taken advantage of. And I'm, I'm just going to say this right off the bat. We're culpable as a church. We're supporting this type of thing, uh, the, the, not just the uh, immig- bringing illegal immigration, but all that happens to those kids. Why are we doing it now? We're getting, as a church, millions and millions of dollars from the government to do this. I want to say this in a very nice way. Knock it off! I'm sorry, Jesse. This is our church. I don't want to see my church participating in this because this is the world's view. We want to have God's view. I'm done. Amen. <laughs> uh, other books that are deemed to be triggering these woke colleges. Yep. Another book is includes Samuel Beckett's groundbreaking and brilliant play. It's called Endgame. Yeah. Also, another book, V for Vendetta by Alan Moore and David Loy and Gene Winterson's mm-hmm. uh, Sexing the Cherry. Yep. Sally Rooney's Normal People has also been flagged. And Mark Hayden's 2003 novel, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night, has been labeled as including the death of an animal uh, and, and containing disability and offensive language. So the irony of censorship which goes basically against the Catholic principle of religious liberty, and it goes against the Constitution called free speech. Of course. So the irony of censorship, perhaps the world's most iconic book about the horrors of censorship, was not missed by Tory MP Andrew Brigden, who said, quote, There's a certain irony that students are now being issued trigger warnings before reading 1984. Our university campuses are fast becoming dystopian Big Brother zones where newspeak is practiced to diminish the range of intellectual thought and cancel speakers who don't conform to it, close quote. He also said, to many of us, and nowhere is it more evident than our universities, have freely given up our rights to instead conform to a homogenized society governed by a liberal elite protecting us (laughs) from ideas that they believe are too extreme for our sensibilities. Close quote. Unbelievable. Yeah, terrible. Like in the LA Unified School District, 
They don't think it's uh, too extreme or sensitive to teach minors in the LA Unified School Districts how to put a condom uh, on on a boy and how to uh, go get uh, uh, birth control pills from the from the from the uh, the school nurse. That's not too sensitive. And showing graphic pictures in sex ed- Marxist education classes in public school and the LA Unified School District, showing body parts specifically and then showing the anatomy of how they work. Oh, that's not too sensitive, no. is it, right? The article says, while Northampton, this college, only became a full university in 2005 and is ranked near the bottom of the UK's 121 universities at 101, the censorship and flagging of the book 1984 and other works could have a chilling effect. A spokesperson for this woke university says, while it's not university policy, we may warn students of content in relation to violence, sexual violence, domestic abuse, and suicide. In these circumstances, we explain to applicants as part of the recruitment process that their course will include some challenging texts this is reinforced by tutors as they progress through their program of studies. He went on to say, the spokesperson, we are aware some texts might be challenging for some students and have accounted for this when developing our courses. Here's my comment. Gary, apparently, academia believes that these young people are snowflakes, uh, that, these, uh, that they can't handle a book like 1984, which describes very accurately what's happening right now in terms of censorship and dictatorial governments. I guess young people can't handle that. No, this college doesn't want these young people to read about what's happening right now in Europe and the U.S. You know what these colleges suffer from, Terry? They suffer from truth decay. Yeah, in reality, that this is what's going on, and we can't expose this. This doesn't support the narrative. Jesse, this is the same culture that says thou shalt not commit adultery does not is offensive to our listenership on YouTube. Are you kidding me? So you wonder why, Terry and Jesse, we're not on YouTube show? Because we preach the Ten Commandments, and we're not going to compromise on that. So here's the point again from this. We have to fight back. We have to say, no, I'm not going to send my kids to that university. I'm not going to send them to this school that's doing the X, Y, and Z. We're leaving And I know a lot of people are leaving California for a number of reasons, Jesse. And this is what they tell me. Look, this isn't a good place to raise a family. I'm going to Texas. I'm going to Arizona. I'm going somewhere else where I'm not going to get hit so hard on immoral teachings in the school. And then my kids come home and tell me what they've been exposed to. I'm not going to take it anymore. So I think what's going to happen, Jess, in my take, is you're going to find certain states are going to get a ton of people from liberal states and the liberal states are going to lose their tax uh, revenue, and they're going to feel the pain. That's what I see coming. Amen. Terry, George Orwell, who wrote this book again in, in 1949, uh, he was kind of, uh, he had some prophetic insight. He sure did, man. Uh, yeah. Again, he, he, ta- he was talking about a time when, when governments would go so strong. Yeah. That they would censor people's speech, Terry, but not only censor their speech, even censor their thoughts. Wow. Even saying, you can't think this way. <laughs> well, we, we've entered into such a time. And uh, C.S. Lewis also wrote kind of a parallel book to, uh, to this book, 1984. His book is called 
the hide- that hideous strength. There you go. Now, Lewis wrote that book in 1945, a few years before uh, George Orwell. And in C.S. Lewis's book, it, it, both books parallel each other. Yeah. Because in C.S. Lewis's book, his, the way he relates a story, he says that there's a, a powerful organization that, that grows in this world. He calls that organization NICE, National Institute of Coordinated <laughs> Experiments. I call that, that, uh, that institute uh, uh, United Nations. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But C.S. Lewis says that if they become so strong, they'll gain, they'll gain control of all the media, all the government, all the social structures, and they'll spread totalitarianism from that institute across the world. Wow. Folks, I want you to go to our website. We have another conference coming up on marriage and the family with Dr. Sandoval, my wife, Mary Danielle, and myself. You can register by going to vmpr.org or calling 877-526-215. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, Here's Terry and Jesse. Yeah, see, before we get back, I just thought of something over the over the period of the break. I don't know if you ever saw this movie called Catholics, 1973, Martin Sheen. It's a it's a movie which shows how the compromise of the Catholic Church took place, mm. and it's amazing in the sense that it it's almost like that 1984 book. All the things that are done in that 1973 movie are taking place in 2022. Interesting. Yeah, so if you get a chance, it's, it's on YouTube. Richard and I watched it a while back, and we thought, man, it's, it's just amazing that this could be so prophetic. But I'll yeah, be sure to watch it, I promise yeah, you. Yeah, Jess, let's get back to what you're doing this weekend. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, February 11th, 12th, and 13th, mm-hmm. the Temple of Saint is coming to Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, with the intentions of consecrating Scottsdale, Arizona to Satan. Uh, what happened? What's uh, the what's? How did this happen? How did this come about? The Satanic Temple. What they try to do is they go to sit from city to city and do, ask to if they can do the opening prayer, the invocation at at a city hall meeting. Uh, Scottsdale rebuffed them, say, "No, you guys can't do an opening prayer here. We usually have a Catholic or a Protestant or a Jew." So they got mad. They they took him to court. The city of Scottsdale beat him in court. The judge sided with the city of Scottsdale. So the Temple of Satan became upset. They said, okay, since uh, you guys rebuffed us from doing an invocation in your city hall meeting, we will have a three-day conference in your city, rent a hotel ballroom, and consecrate the city of Scottsdale to Satan. So that's the the backdrop to the story. I found out about it from a couple of months ago. I, I notified the diocese. And I began mobilizing Catholic men all around the diocese saying, we've got to get gather together, make sure we're in a state of grace, uh, get some prayer protocol, decide where we're going to stand and assemble and, and peacefully gather, do prayers of reparation. Public evil requires a public response of prayer because the justice of God is being impugned and offended. And the justice of God must be satisfied with prayer and penance. And we're also praying for the conversion of those Satanists because... If 25% of Americans are baptized Roman Catholic Christians, then of the 500 people that are that are attending that conference, uh, it's a it's a 500 uh, person ballroom. They they uh, sold out in three days. 
So we can assume that a, a fourth of those 500 people attending the Satanic Conference are Roman Catholic Christians or baptized. And so we want to pray, Terry, yes. that, that they receive the grace of conversion. Who knows? There could be a Zachary King in there. Absolutely. There, there, there could be a Bartolo Longo in there. Absolutely. That, that'll come back to, oh, there could be a, a, Bar, a, a, a Betty Brennan in there. There could be a, a Debbie, a, a Deborah Lipsky in there. There could be a, a, so many people that you and me know that were former Satanists that are not Catholics. That's right. It's because somebody prayed for them. It's the whole it's the whole fat of a formula. Somebody prayed for them and God gave them the grace of conversion. They received exactly. it. That's why we have to go out there. You got we it. have to go and do prayers of reparation. And so, Terry, mm -hmm. the bishop had a meeting with him. Good. And and we had a ninety minute meeting because uh again, people were giving him probably bad information. So I had to speak with him personally. Good. So we sat down and he said, Jess, uh I want you to put this statement out on radio, on all the interviews you're doing, on all, your, on all your public channels. So here is what Bishop Olmsted has permitted me to say in public <laughs> regarding our 90-minute meeting. Here, let me read it. How about hey, let me put my seatbelt on. Go ahead. This is with my, his permission. I love it. I, Jesse Romero, a faithful son of the church, am in communication with the Diocese of Phoenix. I met with His Excellency, Bishop Olmsted, and Father John Nargang, Vicar, Vicar of Evangelization and Education. It was clarified at our meeting and agreed upon that assembling for prayer in front of the Saguaro Hotel on February 11th, 12th, and 13th falls under the definition of a prudential judgment. A prudential judgment is an evaluation of a situation where we use the virtue of prudence in order to determine the best approach to resolving the issue at hand. See 1806 of the Catechism. When faithful Catholics disagree on a matter of prudential judgment, the key difference is over the particular application of a moral principle, not the moral principle itself. The moral principle in play here is confronting evil. Yep. And we all agree on its importance. Bishop Olmsted has invited the faithful to apply this principle in this way, that all the churches in the Diocese of Phoenix for those three days have the exposed blessed sacrament and everybody that it can wow. is praying in the churches for those three hours, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Bishop Olmsted also said for me, to, uh, he agreed to this, that I could write this down and I'm sharing it. Bishop Olmsted, this is with his approval. Catholics may discern, with the help of God, in examining their conscience, whether they're also at peace with gathering in front of the hotel to pray in reparation for the evil being done and for the conversion of the participants. We can all agree that we must all unite in prayer. Amen. Let every person listen to God, speaking through his or her conscience, and, and not look down on anyone else for their decision. Close quote. I say this with the permission of His Excellency Bishop Olmsted. And what he asked here is because, again, a lot of lay Catholics, you know, there's a lot of bickering back and forth. Sure. And I've been trying to tell lay Catholics, look it. This is kind of like, for example, a prudential judgment would be like, for example, the jab. Mm -hmm. Some Catholics are not going to get the jab, like me, like you. Mm -hmm. Some will get the jab. 
I'm not going to look down on anybody who got the jab. It's none of, I, that's a prudential judgment that they have to make based upon their own moral conscience. Yep. I've made that decision. You've made that decision. Yep. We don't look down on anybody for having done so. We just have our own reasons for not doing so. But we don't. And so the bishop just asked, I don't want any division of, of, of people looking down on people that are not there in the streets, that people are, are, in, are in the churches praying. I said, I welcome everybody praying. I said, I hope people are praying from churches. I hope all the churches are packed. I hope people are praying with me on the sidewalk with our rosaries, our Ark of the Covenant in our hands. And I hope for those that are homebound or have a lot of kids are praying from their houses like Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 or what Protestants call the war room. And so Terry, this meeting, this 90-minute meeting that Anita and myself and Bishop Lobson and Father John Argang that we had, it was a model of communication, respect, and unity that should be had when a bishop and a lay Catholic come together and discuss an issue. And again, we reached the conclusion that there are just some issues, as he said, that fall under the arena of a prudential judgment. And as you all know, Terry, remember, you can remember even Cardinal Ratzinger years ago, back in 1994, wrote a letter to the USCCB. And he said that in some areas, like the death penalty, like... uh, uh, some other things that he mentioned. I got the quote right here, but go ahead, Jesse. I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. It, there are some areas. Mm-hmm. Cardinal Ratzinger wrote this with the approval of John Paul II. He goes, there are some areas known as prudential judgments, yep. where a lay Catholic can even disagree with the Holy Father in charity. Well said. And Jesse, my only regret is that your bishop is retiring. Okay. Oh, you ain't because this me. guy is the real deal, and uh, I'm just happy that you had that meeting with him uh, because uh, I think it helps. I'll give you the exact quote. He says... Um, Terry, I want you to tell the audience uh, you, what you, your relationship with Okay, Bishop well, Olsen. when Bishop... And I'm going to make sure this gets to him. Okay, well, well hear me. let me just mention one thing that Pope Emeritus Benedict said. Not all... I'm going to give the exact quote. Jesse summarized it. Not all issues have the same moral weight as abortion and euthanasia. There may be legitimate diversity of opinions, even among Catholics, among waging war and applying the death penalty, but not with regard to abortion and euthanasia. All right, my connection with Bishop Olmsted. I met him uh, last, yeah, the end of the last century. Okay, that sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> At the family conference in Wichita, Kansas. He was the bishop there. We hit it off. He was a wonderful man there. And then I got word in the early 2000s he was going to uh, be transferred to Phoenix, Arizona, to take over that diocese. We were praying that he would come to L.A., but okay, Phoenix <laughs> got him. Yeah. And he calls me up and says, Terry, I got a big problem on my hands. Can you help me? I said, of course. What do you need? He says, well, we need some cloistered nuns in my diocese praying because this is a fifth largest city in America. We don't have nuns praying. We don't have a cloister. That's my first line of work. I said, well, this guy's got it right. So I had just got off the phone hours before that phone call from the bishop, from Mike Wick from the Institute on Religious Life, saying that, the mother Angelica's sisters are looking for a home. If I knew of a bishop who would welcome them, let us know. And I said, well, yeah, that's pretty hard for to connect the dots. So I called Mike and I said, hey, call Bishop Olmstead. He's looking for an order to come into his diocese. Well, they did. And, of course, now they've been there for, what, 20 years or 15, 20 yes. years? Yes, they're, they're, they're the prayer power here. Yeah, and they're getting vocations. I've been out to their place. And, is it Tonopah? What, what Tonopah. 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 
I've been to their monastery. Man, it's magnificent. So I just may I just say that Bishop Olmstead uh, is a bishop who was praying at abortion clinics, unlike Cardinal yes, Supich, yes. who said never, I would never let my priest pray at abortion clinics. Okay, you see the difference. <laughs> we have night and day with our bishops. I would say that um, Bishop Olmstead has been a man of the church, and he's also supported lay people. Okay, and what I mean that, and I don't know if he wants to hear this, but when we were on Immaculate Heart Radio, Jesse, he used to listen to the Terry and Jesse show on a regular basis. Okay, so does that tell you anything about the Bishop of Phoenix? Terry, he, he even advocated for us be, when they were t- taking us off of a oh, yeah. uh, relevant radio. Yeah, he spoke with the <clears throat> the CEO. Yeah, and uh, and he's basically put in a good word for us. He said the people like both these guys. You know, yeah. I, I'd recommend you keep them on. So <laughs> he he went to bat for us, Terry. Well, I'm going to bat for him, but you know, his biggest bat going to bat was when he has his exit interview as a successor of the Apostle. Look what he's done to that diocese of Phoenix. Mm. In the years that he's been there, it's basically been renewed. You've got a bunch of good Orthodox young oh, priests gosh. who have just said, you know what? We've got a real true shepherd, a father that is what a, she- a bishop should be. Jess, I'm impressed. Thanks be to God for Bishop Olmsted. Say a Hail Mary for him and Amen. Thanksgiving for his uh, time in the Phoenix Diocese. And we pray for that a new bishop will be just like him. Amen, Terry. All right, we come back, Jess. Great topic. Are Meatless Friday still a thing? Does it matter? Oh, yes, it does. And we'll tell you why. Stay with us. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Are meatless Fridays still a thing, and does it matter? You know, 50 years after the U.S. bishops made it optional, year on Friday abstinence is thanks be to God. It's making a modest comeback. Yep. But for many American Catholics, it isn't even a real option because they've never been told it's still a thing. And so, contrary to common misconceptions, abstinence from meat on Friday throughout the year has never been abolished from Roman law. It was not abolished by Vatican II. It was not abolished by Pope Paul VI or Pope St. John Paul II. And it was not abolished by the 1983 Court of Canon Law. It remains the universal law of the Latin Church. But let's get into some details here. Absolutely. Yeah. Canon 1249 of the New Court of Canon Law, that says, The divine law binds all the Christian faithful to do penance, each in his or her own way in order for all to be united amongst themselves by some common observance of penance, however, penitential days are prescribed on which the Christian faithful devote themselves in a special way to prayer, perform works of piety and charity, and deny themselves by fulfilling their own obligations more faithfully, and especially by observing fast and abstinence according to the norm of the following canons. Now, 1250, canon 1250. The penitential days and times in the universe in the universal church are every Friday of the whole year. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this microphone on? <laughs> Jesse. But but just can I just back up something? You know, when you're reading all these canons and we got we got people in the church that don't even know the Ten Commandments. Terry, they, these canons have been poo-pooed. Just... Exactly. They're they're poo-pooed <laughs> like exactly. Nobody yeah. even looks at them and who cares? But we need to we, we basically we need to go back to our fundamentals, Jess. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Yeah, Terry, what, what we have is, let's just be honest, it's yeah. just painful to say, but the modernists yes, they have. who have taken over the church in many quarters of the church, yeah. they've said, we don't need that stuff. That's pre-Vatican. That's, that's crazy stuff. Yeah. That's Council of Trent church father <laughs> stuff. We don't need that. No. <laughs> who actually told us to fast? The Son of God. Exactly. <laughs> Our Lord told us, when you fast, yep. which, which means he's not asking if you fast, he said, when you fast, yep. indicating that it's a universal mandate for all Christians. So the, the article essentially is saying this. It's still in the books. Yeah, it's still in the books. But Jesse, here's what unfortunately has happened. When yes. the bishops did it in 19, because we are running out of a little time. But in 1966, yes, the Catholic bishops issued this pastoral statement on penance and abstinence. And... They said, among works of voluntary self-denial, personal penance, which are especially commend to our people for future observance of Fridays, even though we hereby terminate the traditional mm. law of abstinence binding under pain of sin as the sole prescribed means of observing Friday, we give first place to abstinence from fresh meat. We do so in the hope, in the hope, are you kidding? No in the hope way. that the Catholic no. community will ordinarily continue to abstain from meat by free choices, formerly we did in obedience to the church law. Hey, Jesse, we hope people will not fornicate. So we're going to let it. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You hope that they don't no. fornicate? How about tell them, do not fornicate. Exactly. It's a mortal sin. If you do go to confession and get right with God, you can't say, we yeah. hope you. No. What do you think? And we hope you fast. That, Terry, you're naive. right. Naive. They're naive. In 1966, they dropped the ball here. They did. Because their language is imprecise. Before yep. 1966, it was clear. the language was very clear. And after 66, Terry, they like said, like, ah, you know what? Just kind of, you know, think about it, you know, check yourself you're, out. You're a big boy. You, 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 yeah. We really have a lot of respect that you know your faith well. Yeah, right. No. Nope. So, in this 1966, mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, when the, when, the, when the U.S., they're called the National Conference of Catholic Bishops then. Mm -hmm. The phrase that the bishops use, quote, we thereby, we thereby, wait, excuse me, we hereby terminate the traditional law of abstinence binding upon, binding pain, binding under pain of sin. Close quote. To relegate it to a subordinate clause in a lengthy discourse on a point that has been almost entirely lost on the average Catholic in the pew. The U.S. bishops, in the very act of abolishing the law of Friday abstinence in their jurisdiction, express that sentence Terry quoted, the hope and expectation <laughs> that the Catholic community will ordinarily continue to abstain from meat by free choice as formerly we did in obedience to church law. It's like telling kids, you know what, uh, I'm going to go to the market that that room there is full of Christmas presents. Don't I hope you don't go into the room and look at what we've bought. I hope you don't go, but we'll be we'll be gone for three hours. We're going to go grocery shopping. Yeah. You say, I just lock the door. Yeah. Don't you dare go into that room. You understand? I'm your dad. Don't you dare pick that lock. I'm going to the grocery store to pick up some groceries. Terry, when you start when you start lowering the bar. Yeah. What it starts doing is lowering the expectation of lay Catholics. And what it does, they figure, I guess it's not that important. Let me go get an In-N-Out burger this Friday. Let me go get a double-double. Yep. yep. And you know what, Jesse? I saw it coming as a youngster in the early 70s from this 
Once the church lowered the bar on even just fasting on Fridays, look what happened to the confessional lines. Oh, gosh. You see, this is... Now, people are saying, Tara, you can't equate the two. I am, Jesse. <laughs> I'm equating the two. Because when you lower the bar about sin, then if we all think we're immaculately conceived, then why go to confession? And, and this is why I believe, Jesse, oh, that we gosh. need to go back to our fundamental scriptural worldview and knock off the worldly view that says, oh, we're going to be like the, uh, the world. Come on, Miss Catholics, don't be so... Yeah, this was a mentality that's affected the church in a very negative way. That's my take, Jess. Terry, and so what happened when the bishops relaxed it with this yeah. language... Yeah, they did. Uh, most American Catholics, in their mind, they basically said, oh, okay, uh, I can have meat on Fridays. Yeah. I can, you know, hey, I'm a I vegetarian can, I... anyway. Who cares? Yeah, well, yeah, and a lot of people don't even care anymore at this point because, yeah, they're, they're, they're earth worshipers or vegans and, <laughs> you know, they want to save the planet from... And so... Ah, uh, Terry. But what can we do, Jesse? Is po- got a couple of minutes to give him some hope. That oh, says, okay, okay. Here's what we can do. Do it, okay? yes, yes. The the clear teachings of the church, yeah. based on scripture, right. is our Lord calls us. Okay. And in fact, there's a verse that it's in Matthew 11. I, I should grab my Bible where our Lord Jesus Christ says that only those who and those who enter the kingdom of God suffer violence. Yeah. So people look at that verse. They say, "What are you talking about, Lord?" Those who enter the kingdom of God suffer violence Mm -hmm. and only the violent take it by force. What the heck does that mean? Does that mean that you've got to be part of Antifa or Black Lives Matter to get into heaven, be violent? Nope. No. What that means is the church fathers say what our Lord means is that the suffering of violence, it must be the person must mortify their flesh. That's the, the suffering and violence our Lord is talking about. The violence unto your flesh of a life of penance, a life of abstinence, a life of mortification. As St. Paul says, offer your body as living sacrifice. So let's remember this. Although the Friday uh, laws were reworded in 1966, the new code of canon law still says, and I quoted the canons before, that we're still called to offer some type of penance on Fridays. Yep. And the Code of Canon Law also says, I just quoted to you, that that uh, abstinence is is one of the ways, uh, and fasting are one of the ways of doing so, of fulfilling your penitential practices on Fridays. So in the Romero household for many years, it's just normal for me. It's just like, it's Friday, I'm going to offer uh, you know, not eating meat on Friday. I like I like a burger. I like a steak. I like carne asada. You know, I'm a red meat. I'm not a. I'm, trust me, I'm not a vegan. I didn't think so. I I, I love bacon, but on yeah. Fridays and stuff. I and also another thing you don't want to do. Don't don't like say, okay, I'm not going to go eat fish. And then you go to a some lobster house and get a get a you know a, a ten pound lobster. Saying yeah, all you I'm, can eat. I'm, I'm fasting. No, you're not. Okay, again. <laughs> uh, so again, don't don't. Don't uh, uh, make void of your fasting and abstinence by going to an all-eat lobster, all-you-can-eat for twenty nine ninety nine. So again, Terry, as Catholics, here's what I just do personally: I fast on Wednesdays and Fridays, and 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 why? On Wednesdays, that's when our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the the tradition of the church, that's when Judas betrayed him on Wednesday. That's when he decided, I'm going to betray Jesus. It was on Wednesday. So that's been the tradition of the church is that's a day where we make reparation for the sins of Judas. And then on Friday, 
That's the day when Christ died for our sins on the cross. So personally, especially as this, as this uh, satanic conference is right around the corner, I'm very acutely aware of my oh, yeah. Wednesday and Friday fast. Uh, fasting, two meals a day, uh, no snacks, nothing in between, uh, nothing after 6 o'clock, and no meat on those days. Again, just a slight little penance to offer my body as a living sacrifice unto God. And here's another additional thing, fasting from meat charitable acts on Fridays or Wednesday or matter of fact any day but especially on Friday go and help somebody out go make a phone call to a old person who needs someone to talk to these are called charitable works of of action that Catholics can make on Friday go out of your way to help somebody on Friday and unite that in the suffering matter of fact you know what's simple you like eggs and potatoes you like salt and pepper don't put the salt and pepper on your eggs on Friday, okay? Little things like that. Well, you know what? If you can't learn to say no to yourself, then all this adds up to saying no to yourself on big things. It's the small things that lead to big things in the spiritual life. Am I right, Jess? Absolutely. Uh, that's why the fathers of the church say of the seven deadly sins, yep. uh, sloth, envy, anger, lust, gluttony, avarice, pride, the fathers say that the least of the seven deadly sins are all deadly, but the least is gluttony. Yeah, there you the, go. The, the, the great writers say, the, the spiritual writers, that if you can slay gluttony, master gluttony, it will be easier to master all the other six deadly sins. If you can't master gluttony, you're going to have a hard time mastering the other deadly sins. Well said. Jesse, I want to remind everybody, this whole week we're focusing what's happening out in Scottsdale, Arizona. We want to pray, sacrifice. Remember what Our Lady said at Fatima, folks. Souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Think of those people coming from Arizona to worship Satan. How better than to offer your prayers and sacrifices for their conversion? Can you imagine that one of those knuckleheads coming to Christ? (laughs) I do, Jesse. I want to see that happen. I know that people are praying for it. Yeah, they're actually praying and making sacrifices. Terry, in that crowd could be the next Blessed Bartolo Longo or the next Zachary King or Deborah Lipsky. You got it, brother. Hey, Jess, let's end it on our note that we always do. What state should we be living in, brother? State of grace, not in a state of mortal sin. And the only vax that me and Terry are going to push is called the blood of Jesus. Amen. Make sure you're receiving the blood of Jesus regularly. And the only virus we're going to talk about here is the virus of sin. Amen. Up next, we got another great show here coming up on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. If you want to listen to all of our podcasts, go to vmpr.org. Check us out for all the events that we're coming up with. May God richly bless you and your family.